Welcome to the Act React podcast, where we explore improvisation through conversations with remarkable artists. I'm Daniel Burkholder, the host and a dancer based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. This episode is being delivered way behind schedule. I'm sorry about that. I've just finished directing and teaching the summer session for the low residency MFA in dance at UW-Milwaukee, where I'm on faculty. So I got a little behind on things. But this episode is certainly worth the wait. I'm talking to Audrey Chen. When I lived in D.C. and she lived in Baltimore, we collaborated on a project that was commissioned by the Kennedy Center, and we've also performed in a number of other shows together. She is now mostly based in Berlin, and it is a pleasure hearing what she's up to these days. Here's a bit more about Audrey. Over the past 16 years, Audrey Chen's predominant focus has been her solo work, joining together the extended inherent vocabularies of the cello, voice, and analog electronics. More recently, she's begun to shift back towards the exploration of the voice as a primary instrument, delving even more deeply into her own version of narrative and non-linear storytelling. American-born, but currently based in Berlin, Germany, Chen has performed across Europe, Russia, Ukraine, Turkey, Australia, New Zealand, China, Japan, Taiwan, Brazil, Argentina, Canada, and the USA. As always, you can check out the description for more information about Audrey, myself, or the podcast. And without further delay, here's my conversation with Audrey. Enjoy. Well, hi, Audrey, and uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, nice to see you, Daniel. <laughs> nice to see you again. Um, so I just kind of want to dive into the present moment. And if you could just start by talking about what your current improvisational practice looks like. Okay, well, it's been over 10 years since we've seen each other yeah. spoken, actually. So things have changed a lot before I was living in Baltimore. It's been seven years now I've been living in Berlin. Okay. Um, I still tour to the U.S. sometimes, uh, but most of my work is, I would have to say, in Europe. Yeah. Um, I, do I tour, though, in other places like South America and Asia and Wherever they, they have a job for me, I go. Sure. Um, so my, my practice has changed a lot since then, also because my son is 18 now. Uh-huh. And he's in college. He's at UCLA. Um, and this has changed my... Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And this has changed my life a lot. So it's changed my practice because of the way that I live and, and, and the way that I need to travel and the way what my responsibilities are. Um, and how my time is managed, it all really affects everything. I mean, the way that I work anyway is completely informed by my life. It's inter intertwined. It's, it's not one thing or the other. I don't separate life from work. So this has really changed a lot over the last, I don't know, last 18 years, I yeah, guess. Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, when I first started to to use the tool of improvisation in my practice. Uh, I was a young single mom. <laughs> I was a single in the beginning. It just happened pretty soon after that. Um, and then I was a lot on my own with my son. And so we were touring a lot together. And I don't know, I think this sort of information of, of having to be resourceful on my own and having to be not just resourceful, but really creative, not just in, not just with sound, but in every single part of my life and, and, and teaching my child and fixing things in the house. I had no idea what to do, but try to come up with a good solution. It was really part of learning how to improvise for me it was this and, and traveling and, and learning how to, to, to make ends meet 
Uh, especially living in the States, it wasn't easy. I had several jobs and was touring at the same time, and I had to bring my son with me a lot of the time. So it was a, it was a big juggling practice. Sure. So this was a huge information um, and education for me to, to learn how to be holistically resourceful mm-hmm. somehow. Um, now my son's 18. He doesn't need me anymore. <laughs> okay, he needs me still somehow. More like symbolically, some, I don't know. Um, he's really far away. I'm in Berlin and he's in California. He's in LA. So I miss him a lot. But this has changed the rhythm of my life. Last year was a big transition for me. I'm kind of empty nesting in a weird way because he was, even the last seven years, still living in the US, but I was still with him six months a year. But that really required a huge amount of scheduling and travel to make sure that I was with him that much, but also at the same time working enough to make enough money to live and pay for all the travel. So uh, most of my income was going to the travel to spend with him and to to be with him. I was still, I had one foot in Baltimore still for the last seven years. I was there four months a year. But this really affected the way that I was working. I mean, even when I, even to say like, to kind of backtrack a little bit, I first started playing solo a lot because I could make more money doing that, even off of a door gig. Right. So there was a lot of practical decisions that I made that were kind of informing the artistic practice. But the practical thing always kind of came first. Um, Also, one major thing that's changed is that the cello is on hiatus for the most part. Okay. I'm mostly using my voice and an analog electronics, um, partially because it's a lot easier to travel. Oh, sure. It's not because I'm lazy. It's because I travel a lot. And when I have to link one tour onto the next and onto the next one, and I have a, a lower back issue, um, makes it really difficult to travel with that instrument. Yeah. What's, nice. Which I still love. I mean, I still love my cello. She's I have a very long and complicated history with this instrument. I've been playing her since I was eleven, and it's she's like family. So yeah. we're going to come back together at some point, but we're just not going to see each other for a while. So yeah, <laughs> sometimes a little distance is necessary. I think so. Yeah. I think so. So, but now it's actually it's been interesting. So for the last three years, I've been really delving much deeper into the voice, which is anyway my everybody's first instrument, but I began the two really close to each other. You know, I started playing cello when I was eight and I started singing when I was 11. Everybody somehow always guessed that I was more of a cellist than a vocalist, but but this is completely inaccurate. It's just because the larger instrument sort of always trumps the one you can't see. Yeah. So, um, I also wonder if there's a little assumption that, um, voice is more, as you said, the first instrument, more natural, um, and just people imagining playing the cello, just that it takes so much more training or something like that, some kind of... It does um, take a lot of training, but the voice, the way that I use it, it took a lot of training. Yeah, no, definitely, oh. but I, I just wonder if people's assumption is, yeah, is one or the I, other. People like to assume things all the time. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's in human nature, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so the, the, that's really changed. I've been really deepening my practice with the voice, um, which has been great. Uh, it's been really rewarding and really enlightening somehow. Like very, it's been really challenging also because it's much. Um, somehow 
even though before it was very physical with the with the voice in combination with the cello, it's with the voice just as it is. I have a electronics that I use too, but they're not connected. The voice isn't run through the electronics. Mm. It's just they're two separate instruments. But with my brain as being the connecting, you know, my, my yeah. brain is the connecting right. part, not right. a wire. So it, it is it is informing me, the electronics, and I'm informing it with my hands. But it's also very chaotic, so I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing with it, but it's sort of it's the same it's a little bit the same with the voice. I do know what I'm doing with the voice, but I, I leave a lot of things open for chance and a lot of things open for to happen because I really love to be surprised. And especially in a performance situation, it's so fresh and it's so, that moment is so tactile and time being kind of not frozen at all. It moves, but it moves in a different pace when you have that moment. So... I don't know it, it, the the weight of it is so so different. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know how to explain. Um, I, I wonder if I you lost. could just um, go back because I'm curious about the sure. um, you know as you say your voice is kind of your main kind of practice right now and mm -hmm. do kind of digging into that or delving into that has been interesting for you. And could you talk a little bit about what that process is? Is there like um, uh, research time that you're doing on your own of playing with your voice of training your voice is it mostly in um, re a rehearsal situation or uh, performance situations that you're kind of doing this exploration of the voice how is that what is that process like kind of on a daily weekly performance rehearsal kind of rhythm for you um <laughs> I don't really rehearse that much yeah uh, or I don't rehearse strictly in that way. I guess I is more accurate. Yeah. I guess I rehearse all the time, but that's because the voice is inherent to the body, mm. and the body is is you know as a mover. You're you're very susceptible to the changes of the temperature, of your mood, of of tension, of things you've held from the past, of things that you're holding in the moment things that you're able to release now, things that you're working on. I mean, it's it's so multi-layered. Yep. Um, and the voice as an instrument, it's, it's very, it's kind of different than other instruments in a way. It's a language and it's a tool, and but it's also very uh, internal. Mm -hmm. It's nothing is external. Right. So... Every every different change. I mean, this is and also. I mean, as a cellist too, it, if my mood and the temperature and my, everything is affecting it too. But this is somehow more intimately affected. Um, but what I kind of love about it is that I'm not afraid of these changes, mm. of like from a day to, on a day to day basis. So this is part of my practice. It's just kind of living my life actually. That's why when you asked me about my practice, the first thing I talked about was the big changes in my life. Yeah. Because this really affects what's happening and affects the way that I can also um, take care of my body and take care of my mind and my emotions. And these all are really closely lined up together with how it is working with my voice. I mean, I, I, I also view the voice as being working with a voice kind of like an extreme sport. I I do things where I, first of all, I do exercise quite a bit. I do a lot of yoga. I swim. I run. This is necessary for me, and I do it every day. Yeah. I don't miss. 
So that's part of my practice because I need to be able to access my endorphins. I need to be able to access all the different parts of my body so I can check in with them. Um, it's really important for me to understand, especially since I have this back issue, uh, and that's so deeply connected with my support that I have. So I, have, I don't know, there's all these sort of like mundane junctures, my sort of very pedestrian movements of doing dishes and brushing my teeth and reaching down to pick up something, or do I have to reach down differently? How is this affecting the the one side of my body or the next? And then this is really, it f affects the way that I'm able to kind of manage my voice. And now I'm, I'm sick right now. I've had this sinus infection and I have a lot of phlegm that's coming up. So I have a, like my first performance is tomorrow since this new year. And uh, it's not a high pressure situation. It's a, like a lovely door gig in Berlin. But I know that I have to be able to kind of be able to get through it. But I understand that there's going to be some secretion. So I have to be part, I have to be friends with it. <laughs> and not fight it. Because it's going to be part of what's happening. I think whereas when I used to be in a more classical situation, there was this one way it had to be. It had to be like this. And if I couldn't execute, then it was, it was just totally messed up. And what was I going to do? I'd get really stressed out. I think part of it is that I have to kind of accept what's happening every day, but I keep a level of being in shape. Uh -huh. So I, I, do, I do practice. I keep my voice in shape. I do practice. I work with my body a lot. Um, just to be, have a kind of like very intimate self-awareness of kind of checking in with myself. Yeah. But I also know how far to push myself because a lot of my techniques require, um, they require a lot of foundation. A little bit when I was referring to the voice, using the voice like an extreme sport. For instance, I also run a marathon a year. Okay. But it's a, it's a little bit like it's the same process for me, though. I, kind of, I run very often. I never I don't run quite enough, probably, for training for a marathon properly. But I have a base, um, what do you call it, like a, a base fit, a, a, a kind of a fitness base. Yeah. So I'm not going to die if I run a marathon. I know I can do it. I've done the distance before. And sometimes, you know, I can go further, probably, even though it, it's already far enough, actually, yeah. I'm. I'm getting on and, 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 and but it's the same thing. So I kind of keep a base of fitness for anything to happen in a performance situation. Mm. I don't, I don't rehearse a lot of extended technique that kind of happens anyway. I perform hundreds of days inside of a year. So right. it's not for me to do it every single day is, is, is not important that, that part of it, but to keep the foundation fresh so I can go anywhere I want. That's important. Yeah. So that's what I do. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So that sounds like a, it seems like a good um, transition into uh, talking a little bit about actual performance. Um, yeah. You know, and it, it sounds like because you're you're embedded in this kind of everyday kind of practice of letting your everyday life inform what's gonna what's gonna come into this this improvisational practice or your performance. Um, I'm just curious about, so then it's time to perform, and what's that process like as you enter into performance, and, and when you're in performance, kind of what are you attending to, or what are you interested in, if that makes sense? Yeah, um, I guess the way that I've been doing it for a while, and I, I guess I will continue for a while, I, I have no idea what to predict in the future, but sure. so 
is a lot about performance is, is taking this moment, right? It's usually about half an hour, 45 minutes, hour, whatever, what have you. And I'm, I'm talking really specifically about solo. Okay. Um, my solo practice right now. I mean, it's, it's a little bit different, but also similar when I collaborate with other people. But when, especially when you're, when you're performing solo, you have a lot of responsibility for the moment. And it's only you. Right. So it's about investing and caring and loving that moment and wanting to share that uh, with the space and with the people that are in the space with you. And a lot, a, the way that I do that is, is kind of in that moment, I, I have a way of kind of opening up all my receptors so I can take all the information from the room while I'm performing and, and also be able to kind of, I think a, lo- a lot of that is this kind of invoking of, of energy inside of myself where it becomes this kind of physical and emotional and cerebral intellectual kind of in, in invoking of some physical, really deep physical process, mm-hmm. which becomes then something else because of this very physical process so through vibration, through sound and, and through a lot of the techniques that I use can be very physically taxing and kind of extreme right. um, can be not necessarily, but it's um, something that's working with sound, and then that's hyper physical. And so you, you, I, I'm gonna kind of just kind of come back to this. So um, I just want to kind of be talking about being practical. I just kind of get the practicalness of it. Of like, sure. you're, you're in a club or a, or a venue. You have your stuff set up. You sit down. Mm-hmm. You just kind of have no idea what's going to happen until you start. Is that right, or is there? Yeah. Some- yeah. Basically. I yeah. mean, I have habits. You know, I mean, I, I do improvise. It's always different. Yep. But it's always the same also. Right. Because it's it's my language. It's my concentration. It's uh, I don't believe one concert is a, a finished piece of work. I feel like my whole life is kind of the work. Yeah. Right. So every time I'm playing, it's just a part of the next step that gets to the next step that gets to the next step. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have terrible gigs. I mean, it doesn't happen that often. But that's also part of it. Yeah. If it wasn't, maybe there weren't so many audience members in one or wasn't feeling so well in the other. And it, But it's never, it's all part of the story. It's all part of adding to the narrative of, 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 of my life. And, and that's part of what's happening, actually, right. every time that I step on stage. Right. It's just another part of the story. Yeah. Well, it goes back to kind of what you're saying about the difference between your your current practice and when you were doing more classical work. And in yeah. that, in that that situation, those works were the thing, right? People came yeah. to hear that piece and that was the thing beginning to end and it had no broader connection to to you or this ongoing process. Um, well, I think it, it I think it did. I chose the things that I was doing, so it had mm-hmm. something to do with my taste and what I was I had the my affinity. But it didn't. Ha- it wasn't so directly connected. So. Yeah, I guess that's what yeah. I guess that's what I mean. Sure, of course. Um, I guess so. You also kind of referring to the fact that you know thinking about your solo practice, and I guess maybe it would be interesting because I did notice I was of course going through your website and looking at all the information and stuff, and that um, like under projects you had a mm-hmm. bunch of duets listed. Yeah, and so you have lots of kind of duets or duos kind of um, projects, and so curious about the actual duo form and that's mm-hmm. clearly something that you're drawn to um at least in from your from your website 
um, and what that offers and how that's different than working solo? I have a lot of duos. Yeah. It's true. Um, I, I do love the format. I, there is something really beautiful, but it's, it's, it's the same reason why I think people really love one-on-one conversations. Mm-hmm. It's really different when you start to add another person in, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, going out with a group of friends is really different than meeting up with one friend and really catching up. Yeah. It has a relationship to this because when you, and it's interesting too, though, because it has a relationship. It's kind of, it's similar, but it's also different because when you're doing it in a kind of musical context, the two personalities of people are, are really still very distinct when you have two people. When you start to add more people in, this sort of, it starts to sort of diffuse a lot more. Mm-hmm. But I really love this kind of interaction between two strong personalities and having this discussion, discourse, dialogue, be laid bare. Yeah. It's um, it, There's something very intimate about it. I think a lot of what I do is about intimacy anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, intimacy of the body, intimacy of my mouth, the breath, the, the kind of human and inhuman sounds. And between people in a collaboration, also this kind of rare kind of intimacy that you have with one other person laid bare. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating to me. And maybe I'm a little bit addicted to it. And it's also more practical than doing larger projects. I, right. I mean, it can also get very baseline. I'm American. I don't get a lot of funding just in general. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't put together large projects because I don't have cultural funding to back me up with that. And it's fine. It's not the most important thing to me. Maybe it would have become more important if I was born somewhere else and had these kinds of resources. Right. But it's just not. It's formed the way that I, I form my aesthetics. It's formed a lot of practical things have just, they become the way that I prefer things anyway. There are limitations, but I don't let them be limitations. Mm. I just push deeper into the way that I can work and given the resources that I have. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's um, that's really interesting. In in some other conversations I've had with people, this idea of limitations or constraints um, or or um, I don't know, kind of the boundaries that are set either by ourselves in our own practice or by kind of cultural boundaries um, and how they can inform our practice. Um, you know, going into a performance sometimes. Um, people will set certain, you know, frameworks that they're going to be working with within a certain performance. But then, um, then there's also, as you said, these larger kind of frameworks that that constrain us. Just the nature of the thing. Even just saying that, you know, oh, this is going to be a 30 minute performance is a certain kind of constraint. Yeah. Um, the difference, and it's and that's a very different kind of thing than than if it's an hour or if it's five minutes. Kind of yes. what you can do in that frame is really different. Um, mm-hmm. how much time you allow things to have, what you can explore, kind of, do you need to get to the point, whatever that means. I don't even quite know what that means, but yeah. uh, you know, those kind of, those kind of things. And it's interesting to hear you talk about kind of some of these cultural, um, frameworks that exist or don't exist that have led you down to the kind of practice you have and that you find still find, at least that's what I'm kind of getting from you still find that practice, the practice you want and the practice that has some some deep satisfaction for you. Yeah, it does. I mean, interestingly enough, like my, my life, the only difficult things that have been in my life have really been 
with people and relationships and, and yeah, usually like this. <laughs> but my music is always, um, it's never, it's not always easy. It's not about it being easy, but it's always been a safe space for me somehow. It's, it's always been deeply satisfying, whatever choices that I make. I mean, I'm, I'm quite confident with the decisions that I make. I don't second guess myself very often. This also helps with being a, being able to improvise is just going with something, right? you know, okay, this is good. This is how it's going to work. Right. This is how it's going to work now. And this is how it's going to work now. So, right. but I've, I've learned these skills really over the last 18 years, mostly. I mean, probably before that too, even before I, you know, but I, I feel, yeah, given constraints for sure, you know, if I'm on tour with a young kid, then I can't do everything, but it makes me, it made me work harder. It made me more organized. It made me more focused on the things that were important in my life, which was him. Uh-huh. And it made me, it gave me focus yeah. to, 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 to continually try to figure out what's the point, you know. Hmm. And maybe it's not one point, of course, but I, and I hope actually I never find out that this process of, of looking for and exploring deeply why I do things and, and, and how I continue to do things and, and also enjoying things for the moment. It's, it's a, yeah, all that is really deeply satisfying. Yeah. Actually, I feel very lucky. Well, great. Well, I think, I think that's a good place to, um, to end our conversation for right now. Okay. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time and kind of sharing um, so much about about how your practice uh, was informed by your life and how your life informs your practice and, and I think that's a it's something we don't hear a lot about because um, people put things in compartments or separate them or, or aren't yeah. even able to articulate it and and you being able to articulate is really I think um, intriguing and helpful and and um, it's got me thinking about a lot of things so um so i really appreciate it of course my pleasure all right i hope you enjoyed my conversation with audrey now the next episode will be the last of this second season and it will be a bit of a role reversal for me cass tunic who i interviewed earlier this season will be interviewing me it was a complete joy to get to talk with her again even if it was from the other side of the microphone as it were Again, please check out the show notes for information about how to find Audrey out in the world and on the web. And until next time, thanks.